0: Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Deep Cuts.
1: Dune Edition.
0: That in a while. All right. It's time for another Dune episode. And by that, I mean Children of Dune, which is. Or
1: The Hill Kids.
0: Children of Dune, the book, the last book in the series that we have committed to doing as of right now. That doesn't mean that the last three in the first canonical six are not on the horizon, but these are kind of like Thanksgiving. They're a fucking feast. There is absolutely no way. You just are like, I think I'm going to read the fourth Dune book next week. And then I'm just going to talk about it on the podcast. Like, it's no big deal because these are dense. And it's
1: like getting together with your family for Thanksgiving and then Christmas, like Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner. Yeah. And then New Year's.
0: Including that week of like, what the fuck? The what the fuck week? Yeah. 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 I yeah. just realized what the fuck is also Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I was trying to figure out how to work that into a joke and I didn't. So I want to read you something. And to me, this is really um, the most representative section of the book about how Frank Herbert tries to occasionally have casual dialogue, but this man can't write a throwaway line to save his fucking life. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so this is later in the book. It's like two-thirds through the book. And it's when the Lady Jessica and Duncan Idaho are on the planet with Faradn and Irulan's sister. Yes. When Sesia... (laughs) When... This, yeah, I think that's right. Anyway, they're fighting, quote fighting, because, of course, there's always like six layers of what's actually happening. Lady Jessica says, Agola considers himself a mere mortal. She jibed. Compared to you, he said. Leave, she ordered. Such is my intention. He slipped out the door, passing the curious stare of the servant, who would obviously been listening. So that was like... Leave. I'm already fucking leaving. Great. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I already did, motherfucker. I mean, that was his attempt at like a get out. I'm already on my way out. Yeah. It was his attempt at like a witty, like a fast witty banter. Like not banter, but like they're supposed to be fighting, but nobody's ever actually fighting. They're all like, let me have this paragraph long Uh, illustrative dialogue in which I say two things but mean 25, and the other person's like, I hear all 25, and I'm going to rebuttal with my 40 different things that I mean. And so when he does try to write even like a quick thing like that, it still comes off as like... Or how about
1: this? When Ghanima is um, telling Hera to shut the fuck up, (laughs) Yeah. she says... Stuff that into your womb and give birth to it elsewhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I have so many. I should take a picture of all of the tabs that I have in this book. Um, Was this my favorite of the three? I think this was my... No, I think Dune Messiah still has my heart. But I definitely think I loved this up to about three quarters of the way through the book. And I think even Frank Herbert hated this book. Three quarters of the way through once he got to seventy-five percent. He was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I've written so much dialogue. I need action. You know what? This I find probably helps you out. This was the last Dune book that was published in serial format.
2: Mm. So
0: this book was also published serially, uh, in an in a magazine. Just like Dune Messiah was published serially, serially in a magazine. So you're looking at every chapter is essentially like a short story that got sent out. And so you can kind of see that when you're reading it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it feels. Um, it doesn't feel like it doesn't move because it kind of does, but it definitely doesn't feel like it feels like it's written so you won't feel bad if you can't read the next chapter like tomorrow or immediately after it's definitely reads like, here's a snip. Here's a snip. Here's a snip. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense when you realize he's writing this for serial publication. And then later he compiles it all and sends it all out as a single book for four five and six. He's not going to do that, but for these ones he does. So can you imagine for a minute you're getting these magazines in the mail because you're living in the golden age of science fiction, and writers like Frank Herbert are just fucking getting delivered to your door every week for you to read new chapters A collection.
1: Of. <laughs> Can you Frank imagine? Herbert, <laughs> Isaac Asimov.
0: Yeah, just like, oh, here's their new chapter for whatever it is they're writing right now. cause oh, yeah. fucking great. Can't wait till next week to read the next one. Jesus Christ, that would have been fucking amazing. But anyway, <laughs> so... You're waiting for whatever this was published in. Probably not amazing stories, but let's just say amazing stories. You're like, oh, God, yes. And it comes in the mail. You open it up. You're so excited because last week you just found out. Wait, you've been you've been with Leto. leto has been at Jakarutu. He's been forced to take the spice. Um, at this point, he's literally lower than low. He's escaped. He's gotten away. He's gotten recaptured. And he's at the like bottom of the barrel. The only place that from and go from here is death. And what's he going to do? Oh, my God. How's he going to get out of this? How's he going to think his way out of this? And he wanders off into the fucking desert and he smears baby sandworms all over his can and he becomes a motherfucking serial killer superhero. Superhuman, superhero serial killer and runs off into the desert like, fuck y'all, bitches. And that's the end of the book. And I mean, it's not the end of the book. He does shit after he becomes a superhero. But you're just like, what? I mean, at up until this point, superhumanness has been, like, theoretical, right? Like, if you take enough spice, you can kind of be a human computer. Or if you take enough spice, you can manipulate religion and bloodlines just by being really super smart The about only
1: it. really superhuman thing are the navigators.
0: And prescience.
1: And, and like, I can yes. see... I'm, like, but physically changing the world. Yeah. Like... Physically changing the world around you, reality, the whole folding space for faster than light travel is the biggest like physical power that has been uh, shown in the stories. Everything else is all internal mental knowledge related.
0: Like I can make my mind work really, really well.
1: I can get memories from like genetic memories from my ancestral history or inherit the memories of previous reverend mothers or right. that kind of thing.
0: No, sorry.
1: Until now.
0: Until now. <laughs> I can't. Do I? Okay. I, ca- I knew this was coming because I watched the children of Dune miniseries before I read the books. And this happens at the end. And I have to say that the way it's portrayed in the miniseries is so much better than the way it is in the book because in the book he's kind of like oh yeah you can do this thing with the sand trout where you like smooth them out on your skin and then like kids do it they make gloves out of them as like a joke and then they when they fall off they take their water and blah 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 and he's like well I think I could do that but I could actually like integrate them and make them my skin and I knew this was coming a I've seen the Children of Dune miniseries, and B, we get the, my skin is not my own repetition throughout the book. So you're like, okay, something is coming. He's going to change in some fundamental way. Okay, what is it going to be? Well, it's, he's going to become part worm. In fact, I think he becomes a worm. Eventually. Eventually. I don't know if that's a spoiler. It's probably not a spoiler. They've been out a really long time. I'm really fucking sorry. So it's
1: just The first time I heard the line, My skin is not my own, when when Lido says it to I think Stilgar.
0: Oh Stilgar.
1: Um, I thought it was Paul inside Lido speaking, Uh, saying my "My skin is not my own because I am the memory of Paul speaking to you through this body that is not my body. Yeah. But then that's that wasn't uh, it at all.
0: No, I think that's good. I think it's supposed to be a bit misdirection because definitely one of the overarching themes of the novel is like Alia and Lido and Ganima are all pre-borns. They all contain the knowledge of millennia of people. All of them had it from birth, so they've never actually had the time to develop their own personality because, of course, Jessica has it too. Although she kind of let it go or suppressed it or whatever. But it's because she was a fully formed person. And then she was gifted with this knowledge and she was like, cool, I can compartmentalize that. I'm not really worried about it. Right. Whereas uh, Alia and Leto and Ganima didn't have that luxury.
1: It's like the archive in the Dresden Files.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, we see Dune. Dune... Dune Messiah and Children of Dune are intended to be a fugue. They're intended to be a three-part narrative. And Dune is really like narrative triumphant. It is the, I save the world. I come into my power. I create a future where, um, you know, things are going to be different.
1: Right. And you hit a point that where you could put and they all lived happily ever after At and, the that's end, what we do. and it kind of fits.
0: Right, and that's what we usually do with the adaptations, which I know um, Villeneuve is planning on doing Dune Messiah as well, which I don't know how you could do Dune Messiah and not do Children of Dune, because it would just end with him walking off into the desert with, like, noping the fuck out with his, like, middle Double finger in middle the air. fingers, yeah. <laughs> like, y'all leaving. I'm sorry, I made a mess, and I'm going to leave y'all to clean it up. I mean... You also can't fully understand Dune without Dune Messiah, but then I feel like you need to follow all the way through. Even with the superhero ending, you need to follow all the way through to Children of Dune to really get the, like, where he was going. Yeah. Um, so Dune is, like, narrative triumphant. Dune Messiah is the inversion. It is triumphant to tragedy. And then Children of Messiah is the ultimate expression of the tragedy created by the events in Dune. So this book's a fucking downer, is what I'm trying to say. Every single character in this book is a tragic figure. Irulan is a tragic figure. She is nothing like what she was supposed to be. She is nothing like who she was when she married Paul. All of that has been left behind to be a servant of this empire that isn't even hers and alia who is really almost the greatest tragic figure in the entire book because she had absolutely no choices
1: right even paul, worse than paul
0: paul had choices at least at the very beginning alia never did alia's preborn. Because her mom was like, pregnant? Me? No. <laughs> of course I can take drugs. I'm not pregnant. And she comes out preborn because mommy dearest didn't feel like telling anybody that she was pregnant. Because she wanted to save her Paul over the life of... She chose Paul over Alia, is what she does, Yeah, basically. And as soon as everything wraps up at the end of Dune, she nope the fucks out and leaves and goes back to Caladan And leaves Alia behind. And leaves Alia which this takes place nine years after Paul walked off into the desert.
1: Which was 12 years after the end of Dune.
0: Right. Which means Alia, if she's in her mid-twenties, has been alone since she was a child. Like, an actual child. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure Jessica is gone in Dune Messiah. She's not in Dune Messiah at all. She is off on Caladan with Gurney Halleck, which everyone refers to as her lover, even if only in his own mind which makes me feel really sad for Gurney because everyone's like, there's no way she's fucking him, but he wishes he was fucking her. It's sad. But Alia, of course, is our main tragic figure, and she is actually abomination by this book, which means she has been taken over by her past lives, specifically the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Because, of course, she is a descendant of, like, she's the granddaughter Of Baron Harkonnen. And so he takes over her because it's his ultimate revenge on the Atreides to use Alia as a pawn to undermine the Atreides empire. And then there's the twins, Leto and Ghanima, who really are almost on par with Alia for tragedy because their mom died in childbirth. And then their dad was like, well, I was really only here for Chani. And then he leaves. He's like, they've got great ants. They've got great, this is going to be fine. And he just leaves and walks off into the desert. Like I, well, he kind of has to. I mean, that's the ultimate end of his story. He- right.
1: There, there's the, I can't really deal with the pain of what I've lost. Yeah. I need space to do that. But then more significant than that is I need to disappear for the long-term destruction of my Godhead.
0: Right. I can't he can't stick around and raise his kids and also end his what he feels is his deity, like his divine divinity. He can't yeah. which he just becomes a martyr, but it was really the only thing he could do. There was no other way for him to end that. Right. And then we have Lido and Ganima Who, I mean, Lido and Ganima have the same drawback as Alia, but they have... But they have each other. They have each other, and they have the value of watching Alia go through this. Right. So they've seen all of the mistakes that Alia has made, and now they don't have to make them. So they have decided that the thing that undermines Alia is her spice intake. Because she takes in so much spice she goes into the trances and those trances are what allow her past people like the the weight of her prebornness, to take over her body so they don't do that they don't look into the future at all they have dreams sometimes the future forces itself into their lives but they right, don't the same way the it future. did with
1: paul yeah even when he was on caladan he would have dreams future dreams yeah But he didn't go full-on, like, future-sight trance.
0: Right. And Jessica is—literally everyone's a tragic character, but Jessica's tragedy is she gets to witness the ultimate fruition of her bearing a son instead of a daughter. So that one act of love, at this point, has killed billions of people, created a theological empire— which is now in effectively ruins. Yeah, theocracy, which is now effectively in ruins because Alia can't keep her shit together. And so the novel starts, of course, nine years later with um, Jessica's coming back. She's coming back. Um, She's coming back to, quote, visit, which absolutely nobody believes. Right. Ollie is like, she's coming back to test me and Jessica's like, can I come see my daughter? And she's like, Yeah, you don't <laughs> you don't care that much about me. There's no way you are actually on your way here to see me. Which is fair, she actually isn't. <laughs> she gets up to some fucked up shit in this book. Jessica? Yeah.
1: Yeah, because like, yeah, she's
0: when we find out that I mean later when Leto gets later when Leto gets kidnapped. By the people at Jakarutu, and they force him to take the spice because she has told Gurney to force him to take the spice?
1: It wasn't Jessica. It was Alia. We think it
0: was Alia? Oh, posing uh, as his... they
1: They say that Alia was faking all of the... Communications. Jessica's communications with Gurney. So Gurney thought he was like coordinating things with Jessica... But actually, it was Alia. Oof. So Jessica actually had no knowledge of what Gurney was doing the whole time. Oh. She was incommunicado.
0: Yeah, because she. On Seleucus Fundus. F- yeah, she noped off again. She was like, God, I fucking hate doing that. Well, she leader. kind
1: of got noped.
0: Yeah. Off. Yeah. She didn't fight it. She was like, oh, right. Okay, well, we'll go. Yeah,
1: she recognized the pressures that were there. To be fair, the preacher
0: does tell her. Like, She
1: read the room. Go.
0: Yeah, the preacher tells her to go. He goes, you need to go because there's going to be a student waiting for you. So this was the quote that I highlighted from this section when she comes back. So Jessica gets off. And she's looking up at the keep. Because remember, the keep is like the largest structure ever constructed. And Jessica thinks, now it housed the most powerful governing force in the Imperium. Alia's, quote, Society of the Faithful, which she had built upon her brother's body. This place must go, Jessica thought. (laughs) Because Jessica's like, oh, no, this is not good. Because at this point, uh, a large percentage of Dune has been terraformed and there's green grass. There's trees. There's so much moisture that uh, a lot of people wear still suits that are not even still suits. They're just like fashionable facsimiles. They're cosmetic in. Yeah. still suits. Everyone has become water fat.
1: Yes, and there's only the narrow band around the equator that used to be the des like the deep desert that even the fremen were like we're only riding a worm through here. Yeah. we're not gonna stay. That's like the only place the worms still exist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Worms are dying out, which means that spice is becoming more precious. And this is what this is the world we enter into. Alia is possessed. Jessica is returning. Leto and Ganima are nine going on ninety nine nine thousand. <laughs> like really, really weirdly old. So much so that I really feel like Frank could have reminded us more often that they're like nine year olds and they look like nine year olds. Right. Every once in a while, they'll be having a conversation and somebody's like, Aren't you a child? And they're like, Don't ever fucking call me a child. You have no idea what, I, what I've been through and the things I can remember. Or as Leto says, memories which fastened him to places his flesh had never known presented him with answers to questions he had not asked. So when we pick up at the beginning, um, we sort of live in this space for a really long time. Like we live in Lido manipulating Jessica, Jessica manipulating Ganima, Ganima and Lido manipulating Jessica, all three of them manipulating Stilgar.
1: <laughs> and Stilgar fighting this sense that something's wrong and There's not really anything he could do about it. Yeah. Except kill the twins.
0: Yeah, he's stuck in this, I must serve, I must serve. And the person I must serve is Alia. Or at least I must not act against Alia. And he's stuck in that for a really long time.
1: Right. Between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. I'm
0: almost disappointed with Stilgar, the way Stilgar gets treated in this book, because he's such a mentor character in Dune. And then he's really sort of a support character, like supporting Paul in Dune Messiah. And by the time we get to Children of Dune, he's like a vestigial. He's vestigial. He's no, he's kept around for his name. And for what he represents to the other Fremen, but he really has no more power or influence. And it's kind of sad because he's still acting he because when we meet him, he is this confident, quietly self-assured ruler of a people. He knows who he is, he knows what his role is, and he knows exactly how it will end. And then all of that gets taken away. And now he's just left with I have to I have to remain honorable, but I don't know what that means anymore. And I think that's why at the end when Duncan comes to him because ultimately Duncan realizes that Alia is effectively dead and that her shell is walking around with other people inside of it. Which is kind of creepy when he realizes that because they're married in this book. And She's going to have him killed. And he's like, oh, motherfucker. So he leaves and he's with Stilgar. And he's like, Stilgar, it's not Alia. You got to get the twins and go. Like, you got to. You are serving the wrong master.
1: Yeah. And I thought it was interesting when Duncan does that. There's a parallel, like, plot arc where. Is it Jessica? Someone is. I think uh, someone's trying to get a message to Duncan to say, hey, like, Stilgar is still, like, a wild beast of a man. Yeah. There's just this thin veneer of civilization on top. And he needs to shrug that off so he can do his fucking job. And they're trying to get this message to Duncan to say, here are the words... That will like awaken Stilgar. Stilgar. Yeah. But it doesn't get through. But Duncan still realizes he needs to like shake up Stilgar.
0: I think he does and get he told figures cause that's out what his he own uses way. at the end.
1: Oh, it was those three insults?
0: Yeah, because he gives him the three, like the third most greatest insult, the second greatest insult, and then the fucking greatest insult a Fremen could ever receive. Okay,
1: so maybe that message did get through and I missed that part.
0: Yeah, because that's what he ultimately has to do because Stilgar's like, okay, I hear what you're saying. But at this point, everything's in chaos. There's rebellion. But I'm Switzerland. I'm neutral. I have been granted this siege as my space of refuge. And I intend to hold it. And one of the things that I need to hold it is I can't send any messages. Because remember, Duncan's trying to send messages out. And Stilgar's like, I can't. I'm neutral. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Alia is using you. She's expecting you to act like this you need to act unexpectedly and Stilgar's like that's not a thing I'm capable of doing and so then he basically um, gives him the three worst insults ever and Stilgar loses it and stabs Duncan and Duncan gets the saddest fucking line in the book two deaths for the Atreides and both of them meaningless like neither one means more than the other it was like Oof, because he dies twice in service to the Atreides.
1: Yeah, but he does, he forces Stilgar's hand. Right, he because does. Because now still Stilgar murdered like, Alia's Why
0: husband. do I always have to die to prove the situation is serious? Which is right. even sadder, because I'm pretty sure he gets brought back He gets back brought again. back. Yeah. <laughs> so poor Duncan dies. Yeah, I read again. somewhere that
1: Duncan has the most deaths in the series. <laughs>
0: of course he fucking does. And that's what gets Stilgar to be like, oh shit. I guess I need to act. And that's when we get kind of cool older Stilgar for a little bit and then by the end he's they're like we're Stilgar and they're like oh he's in the dungeon is I'll will with it the
1: later. Yeah, by the end he's what well, we hit the, like the 3 quarter mark in the book.
0: Yeah, and shit just hits the fan. And
1: Lido goes off. And Stilgar's kind of a foil for Lido in regards to like Lido kind of Just working through his like long term plan, like what is the value of tradition? And so Stilgar kind of explains, like he can explain in an exemplary way. Yeah, here's how I, as a very you know traditional Fremen, have used our cultural traditions to. Maintain a stable, you know, community, and and this is why. And leto's like, yeah, but then the world changes, and now you're fucking screwed. Yeah. Okay, so what what do I need to do? And and that's like the last value that Stilgar has for the plot.
0: Yeah, and then really he writes him right out. He's just like, oh yeah, he's down in the. He's Down in the holding cell with Irulan, yeah. Um, we don't need to talk anymore about them, they're done now, so goodbye. Yeah, yeah.
1: we've put them on the shelf until later,
0: until never, because I'm pretty sure they're dead by the oh, next right, book. yeah. Because yeah. the next
1: book is, yeah, in the far future.
0: Yeah, there's a couple new characters in this book, too. There's Princess Wensisia,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, Wensica. I don't know. Irulan's sister.
1: Faradin's mother.
0: Faradin's mother. And Faradin is the one that um, ultimately Lady Jessica goes to teach. And I thought it was interesting learning like, okay, look at your hands. And he's like, all right, I'm looking at my hands. She's like, now they're baby hands. And he's like, yeah, fucking baby hands are my hands. And he's, she's like, make them baby hands. Come get me when you do. And she just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> And this is going to be hard for Rodden. Yeah.
1: <laughs> baby hands. Baby hands. And he's now like. old hands.
0: And he comes in later. He's like, I did it. I made them baby hands. Really, it's I can control my perception of my body. And through that, I can ultimately control my body.
1: Yes. It's, so. It's practicing flexing the like. Mental directing muscles. Directing your attention at specific things. Yeah. To control what. What what in the your environment is significant to you right for just collecting information for making better decisions
0: yeah and um, it's i mean this book was interesting because i mean i guess once you realize it's serialized some of the way that the characters are brought in and then sort of ushered off into the wings make more sense because we open the book with princess wencesia and she is training those lushu tigers Yeah. And it's very dramatic. And the tigers are killing little children and eating them. And this isn't even the first time. And she feels like they're finally good and trained. So she has them kill the operator because now she's going to send somebody else off to be the operator. And she's like, well, we're gonna we're gonna do this because my Farad'in, my little baby Farad'in, he needs to be the emperor. And you're like, oh, she's gonna be the main bad guy in the book, and she's not even. Like a little <laughs> she gets <bit>. kicked out. <laughs> and we even get she has like a a sidekick whose name I can either remember nor pronounce. So uh, read the book.
1: Yannick? Tech Yannick.
0: Okay, well, Is how tech?
1: I pronounce it in my head. I
0: don't know. He she he's there, and she's like, cool. I'm gonna need you to convert to. Muadibism. And he's like, You need me to what now? And she's like, I need you to get some fucking religion. And he's like, For what? And she's like, So that Faradin can get some religion. So Faradin will get some religion. And he's like, God, fine. Whatever. For you, my lady. He keeps calling her like, My lady, not the proper title. And she keeps getting mad at him. And this maybe should have been a clue with the fact this is going to be just a petty character.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Because ultimately, she does send the tigers and they. Don't kill anybody. But Leto and Ganima already knew they were coming. So they're like, cool, this is our this is the chance we've been waiting for. So they go right, out. To
1: fake one of our deaths.
0: Yeah. So they go out intentionally so that the tigers can find them. And then Leto is the one who's like, okay, I'm dead now. Look at me. I'm dead now. Ganima's like, you're dead now. Okay. Okay. And he's like, I'll be back. And this was kind of a sad moment because up until this moment, they'd spent every second of their lives together. And then this is where they will go off and have separate experiences and they will never be the same person again.
1: So, yeah, he's kind of mourning the loss of the fact that until this moment, they'd spent so much of their time together that their internal model of the other person was so accurate that they could just like... They could both sit in a room and pretend to have a conversation with each other in their heads, yeah, and they would both be having identi- the identical it conversation, yeah because telepathy is not a thing right, which we've established, and once they once he leaves, their lived experience will be so different that they won't be able to have that kind of parallel identical like um emergent. Uh, yeah. knowledge of each other any ever again ever again they won't be able to like they won't if be he's able gone, to come back
0: together again in the same yeah. way ever
1: they'll yeah. never have that again and
0: then she does that thing where she brainwashes herself into believing that he's gone and dead so that they'll be able to interview her with a truth sayer and the truth sayer won't be able to guess that she's lying so she's literally watching him right off in the worm and she's like Leto would have really liked to watch that guy get on that worm. I'm so sad he's dead.
1: Too bad he didn't. Too bad he won't live.
0: But then again, who does? (laughs) So she goes back. And this is really the beginning of the, like, what on earth? Because this is right after this is when Duncan kidnaps Jessica. Because Ali is like, listen, I need you to kidnap my mom and, you know.
1: Take care of her. Take
0: care of her. And he's like, oh, like. Take care of her. Like, take care of her. And she's like, no, take care of her. and he's Like, like
1: make sure she has a house and plenty of food? No, no, Duncan.
0: <laughs> but don't tell me about it. Wink, I need, wink. <laughs> I need deniability. And so he's like, cool, I'll take care of her. And so he kidnaps her and takes her to um, Seleucus Secundus.
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> un- and this was a nice nod because uh, while he's planning this, uh, he gets a message that's coded with the, like, the special passphrase that only Paul and he had. Yeah. That's like, if you get this passphrase, you do whatever the message is. And the message is from the preacher.
0: Yes, we haven't even talked about the preacher. <sighs> this guy blind guy shows up with a guide. And he's like, y'all, Muad'Dib is fucking trash. This empire, (laughs) trash. I spit upon this empire. I hate everything about it. Y'all are stupid and I can't believe you're following them. And let me really, really beautifully extol how much of an idiot every single one of you are. this is such a
1: clever and effective use of Paul.
0: Yes. Oh, my God.
1: In Finishing the deconstruction of all the deification and mysticism around Paul.
0: Yeah, because y'all didn't really believe Paul was going to die. just But the desert was like, no, thank you. And he got picked up by the Fremen, the like mythical Fremen, the Fremen that even the Fremen don't think exist over in Jakarutu. And they were like, we can make use of you. And so they kept him around, gave him a guide, sent him back in to sow chaos, which is kind of exactly what he wanted to do anyway. And he has this moment, several great moments, but he goes to see Farad'in. Like they take him to see Farad'in because Farad'in's been having dreams. And of course, his, his bodyguard guy is now a muadibian So he's like, <laughs> yeah, I know a guy. He's like... It's really, but he never actually because he like he does it just because oh, she tells
1: him. T- Maybe it's Tayekinik.
0: T- t- I don't know. He does it yeah. just because the princess tells him to, but he's never like. A tr- he just learned he like he reads the bible and he's like yeah I could right. he goes through
1: he goes through the motions yeah. for pharadan's sake
0: <laughs> but he brings the preacher there and he's like i brought this man he can translate dreams
1: <laughs> except except paul just used the voice to make everyone do what he wanted
0: <laughs> well he has a veil oh, such
1: a power move he
0: has a veil and they're like yeah he's blind that the veil lets him see and they're like oh that must be one of them ixian things and he's like yeah yeah, it's an. It's yeah, just it's a definitely piece of, an Ixian advice. It's just device. a piece of cloth he keeps in his pocket. Like he pulled his <laughs> handkerchief out and stapled it to his own forehead and was like, "Now I can see y'all." And they're like, "Ooh, cool!" And so he goes to see Faradin and Faradin tells him his dream, and the is <laughs> literally like, "Cool!" And he goes, "Okay, well, what does it mean?" He goes, "Oh, I didn't tell you. I'd tell you what it meant. I just <laughs> like
1: I interpreted your dream. Yes, yes you're yeah, cool. Yeah. We're done."
0: Good. Can I go home now? And he's like, "We got to tell me." He's like, "No, that wasn't part of." No, you didn't tell me. I had to tell read, you anything. Read the fine print. Read the fine print. And they're like, "Just get this man out of here." And so they. Take, he's <laughs> like, "Bye, y'all." So he gets to go back to Arrakis. <laughs> he's Paul. Is like I, I can't describe my love for the character of Paul. Think of the growth of this character. We meet him when he's 15.
1: Right. This is, this is character development. You
0: want to talk about how to make a character? This is how you fucking make a character. Because when we first meet him, he's like, I don't know. I think I can maybe have some prophetic dreams or something. And then we go from that to the end of Dune where he's like, I'm basically Cod. And that's pretty fucking cool. And then we get to doom Messiah, and he's like, I'm really tired of this. I should never have been God. Who did this?
1: Right. I thought I was God, but that was when I was young and naive. Yeah,
0: well, 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 if it isn't the consequences <laughs> of my own decisions <laughs> once again, but now I'm the only one responsible for taking care of them. And he's like, what do I need to do? Well, I know what I need to do. And so he does what needs to be done. And then it doesn't work. Alia Somehow holds it together with her fingernails. He becomes a martyr. He becomes even more of a deity than he ever was when he was alive. Almost more so because he walked off into the desert and they're like, he was a true Fremen. He must have been a god because even at the end, he was a true Fremen and he has right. to come no, back and be no like the
1: other man who became emperor of the universe would just walk would away have, like that would have sacrificed themselves
0: that's so purely cool.
1: for the like the principle of the yeah. matter
0: so he has to come back again and be like listen please i was like, i'm not Muadib. i kind of look like i'm not Muad'Dib, okay but if i were Muad'Dib, what i'd tell you guys is Fucking stop it. What is wrong with you? And so Leto actually starts describing this thing called the golden path because. Right.
1: And I really like the. All the philosophical, like expounding on this idea that when Paul was using his future site, he was picking a future and then. Be, it, because he was just kind of, oh, here's how I do this future site thing, yeah, and is like first try. Hey, it worked. He never thought, oh, maybe I'm maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe there's a more like nuanced, careful way to look at the future and figure out what I need to do. But he just like grabs onto it, yeah, holds it tight. But that. It's a trap. Right. And he doesn't realize it's a trap until way, way, way too late. It's like end of Children of Dune was when he really realizes this whole Prescience thing. I put myself in a cage. Yeah. On like on a train.
0: um, On a runaway train.
1: Yes. I set myself on a runaway train and I... It's theres one set of tracks. yeah I can I can't steer this thing because right. I'm locked in so hard
0: because that's the trap of Prussians.
1: and Lido realizes just like with alia Paul and alia both had this tragic thing happen and they failed to utilize it properly. yeah and Lido and Ganima seeing how badly like Paul and Alia fucked it up. They're like, (laughs) okay, those are the mistakes we don't make. Right. So they both learn, okay, we don't do the thing where we're going to get possessed by our ancestors. Mm -mm. We know to like be vigilant and not let that happen to us because we saw how badly it's worked out for Alia. And then Leto yeah gets kidnapped and forced into the spice trance. Yeah, he's like, okay, when I do this whole prescience thing, I'm not going to hold tight. I'm going to let, let go. it go. And yeah. he very explicitly describes, okay, I'm going to just dip dip my toes in and look around like a broader view than Paul ever took. And then, I deliberately back myself out and blind myself to the future so that uh, because the m- more closely you're monitoring the prescience stuff, yeah, the more you trap yourself into the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, And so he just he dips, his, he dips his eyes in, looks around, okay, I'm going in the right direction, back out. And then he, you know, he's at risk for unexpected things, but hey, unexpected things mean new options.
0: Right. And he's really struggling with this golden path, which I feel like every time they say it in the book, if you ever made an adaptation, like a ridiculous adaptation, it should have like a golden path.
1: (laughs) (laughs) With like a ripple of water.
0: Yeah. Like a... Every yeah. single time, because <laughs> they say it with just, like... And that someone always repeats it. He'll be like, you know, the golden path. And Ghanim is like, the golden path. And it's the one, like, the needle they have to thread to avoid the complete extinction of the human race. Because right. fucking thanks, Paul. <laughs> I guess we should go all the way back and thank... um. Leto Kynes' dad, the one that. Liet Kynes?
2: Yeah, sorry. Liet uh, Kynes'
0: dad, the one that uh, put in their minds that they could make Arrakis green. Yes. Because they're like, well, we want it green. And he's like, cool, then I'll fucking make it green.
1: I know how to do that. I know how to do that. I will it's teach fine. you the ways.
0: We'll get it done. And then Alia takes over. And one of the things that's happening, of course, is she's possessed by the Baron Harkonnen. And. The wanton destruction of the spice trade and therefore the wanton destruction of the universe is exactly what the Baron Harkonnen wants. So I think it's really creepy when they start describing how they're walking through the desert and they'll just see a worm dead on the surface and they can smell it for miles because it's so fucking big. But Leto at the very end, of course, becomes super Leto. He gives up everything, including his genitalia. So can we all take a moment for that sacrifice? (laughs) Poor kid, he's only nine
1: (laughs) (laughs) Already lost his balls Already
0: lost his balls I mean, he already I mean, he knew what he was giving up you can't be like well he didn't know what he was giving up because he he's like thousands of years old he's like fine it's fine I've had sex before I just haven't had it with like this body although we mentioned the word loins entirely too much in the last 25% <laughs> everything make, like clenches his loins everything throbs in his loins I was just like please there are other places for people to feel emotions I'm sure men feel emotions in places other than their balls <laughs> But he becomes superhuman, and then he chooses fucking violence. He's like, oh, you've been storing up water? Not anymore. And so he starts going around and just destroying all these reservoirs, or canats, Q-A-N-A-T.
1: Oh, yeah, quannats. Quannats. Is how I pronounced it in my head. He
0: just walks up and starts punching holes in them, so they're like what's destroying these things and they they named uh, the, him like the desert demon yes and he's like he's like the tasmanian devil he just shows up because he no longer needs anything his body is a still suit his his skin is like a living organism that produces a fluid he can eat
1: oh i i he heard these... about uh, this biology thing called kleptoplasty okay and it there are certain organisms most of them are like sea slugs and some of them are single-celled organisms but they are like single-celled single-celled organisms or like animals yeah that eat plants things with chlorophyll and they can They don't digest the chloroplasts, they integrate the chloroplasts into their own cells so that the chloroplasts produce nutrients for them.
0: Okay, so that's what he does.
1: And so that's kind of what Leto does, is he integrates the the sand trout into his body, yeah, and then the sand trout... Are just constantly putting out their cilia and like getting nutrients from the environment and producing food.
0: Yeah, for literally, like he'll sleep in the sand. He will send up a part of his body as a snorkel. I'll just leave up to you what part of his body goes up to be a snorkel, and then he sends out like
1: it's one long finger,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and then he sends out like cilia. His body automatically sends out Cilia to gather resources from the sand to produce more food to feed him.
1: So he is fully autonomous.
0: Yeah, he's fully autonomous. He does
1: not require civilization (laughs) to keep himself alive.
0: What the fuck is the ending to this book? And then he ends up finding his dad because he shows up and he's like waiting. And this worm rides up and off get two people. And one of them is the Jakarutu guide who is like part guide but part keeper for the preacher the slash Muad'Dib. And Leto is like, sup, Paul? And Paul's to his credit, is like, I think he's a little bit like, oh, good, my son is not dead. Because he thinks his son is dead.
1: Yes, because all credible reports point to Leto died.
0: And he's like, dad, I've come to kill you. And he's like, fucking finally. Jesus. He's like, I'm you... glad
1: you're alive and I'm glad this is going to end. He's and
0: like, then, I am so done.
1: And then he's like, Father, I did what you were afraid to do. And he's like, oh shit.
0: He's like, oh no. He's like, no, this isn't no. Right. He's
1: he's so glad that Leto is alive. And then he realizes what Lido did and his terror. At when he considered that option for himself, which we never actually discussed, that's all kind of retconned in. Yeah. But okay, sure. we. That's yeah, fine. Even Wait. though we were in Paul's head layers. the entire book, there's so many <laughs> layers.
0: It was when we were.
1: I guess it uh, would have from been. From another
0: point of view, character. It's during the two years that we skipped. It,
1: I was thinking <laughs> it was during the 12 years. Oh, could Between be. the end of Dune and the beginning of Dune Messiah. Yeah. Was probably. This just gradual realization in Paul's mind that he's stuck. Yeah, he's gra- he's grasped. Yeah, and to on get out, to he'd have to make
0: choices he wasn't willing to make.
1: Right. Yeah. He, in his mind, the cost of becoming the worm was too high for the perceived benefit, or it's it's kind of an the end justifies the means. Well, Leto becomes decision. inhuman.
0: He's not. He's not right. human anymore, and he will not make human-like decisions. And
1: uh what is, what is the this like mythical battle that will destroy most of the human race? What do they call it?
0: Oh, do you remember, it means the whirlwind, though, doesn't it? It's at the end. He's like, I will bring about the. <laughs> Kralizik. Kralizak?
1: Yes. Yeah, the Kralizak. Yeah. Yeah, and-
0: The last wind of Kralizak.
1: And so Paul's like, if I do that, it'll bring about Kralizak, which is this-
0: Yeah, and then we quote the Bible because I mean just fucking cuz.
1: Yeah. And
0: I stood upon the sand, and I saw a beast rise up out of that sand, and upon the head of that beast was the name of God. <laughs> <laughs> I love the melodrama so much, so much. You know what Frank Herbert wasn't afraid of? Melodrama. No. Nope. He wasn't like, is this going too hard? Am I going too hard? He was no, like. I, I need to like, amp it up. Every time like, no, he thought. No, no, no. Not hard enough. Yeah. Every time he thought, am enough. I going
1: hard enough? It's like Phil Collins doing soundtracks for movies. Yeah. Am I going hard enough? No, I need to go harder. Yeah.
0: Here we go. As with so many other religions, Muadib's golden elixir of life degenerated into external wizardry. Its mystical signs became mere symbols for deeper si- Its mystical signs became mere symbols for deeper psychological processes, and those processes, of course, ran wild. What they needed was a living god, and they didn't have one, a situation which Muadib's son has corrected.
1: The body of Muad'Dib is a dry shell like that abandoned by an insect, Leto said. He mastered the inner world while holding the outer in contempt, and this led to catastrophe. He mastered the outer world while excluding the inner world, and this delivered his descendants to the demons. The golden elixir will vanish from Dune, yet Muad'Dib's seed goes on, and his water moves our universe. (laughs) so melodramatic
0: <laughs> to choose and manage a vision required you to balance on a single thin thread playing god on a high tight wire with cosmic solitude on both sides
1: and here's here's one this sounds like it's quoted almost exactly from Alan Watts okay so one of the things alan watts talks about when he's When he's trying to explain a lot of the like Eastern mythology in terms that uh, like Western people can understand, is that the there's the universe, yeah, and the universe wants to know more about itself, so it creates minds that are limited. That are ignorant of the fact that they are part of the universe, that they are the universe observing itself, so that you can get some more like surprising interactions. Um, one example he uses is to convey the idea is okay, um, imagine you can like have lucid dreams on demand. Okay. You can do anything you want to do. So, And every night you can live like 80 years. You can do like a full lifetime of doing whatever you want to do. Every desire you can have it met. After a while, you get bored. Okay. So then you start to have grand adventures. You're the hero of these epic stories. Well, then you get bored of that too. And then after you go through a few more iterations, eventually you go into a dream, but you make yourself ignorant of the fact that you are in a dream. Yeah. And so he's, so Alan Watts is in like a lecture hall explaining this to people listening. He's like, and then one night, like, one of these dreams where you have made yourself ignorant of the fact that you are dreaming, that, that you are basically a god in yeah. like this universe, you find yourself sitting in this lecture hall listening to me. <laughs> and so <laughs> the line I have highlighted from the book is, to be a god can ultimately become boring and degrading. There'd be reason enough for the invention of free will. A god might wish to escape into sleep and be alive only in the unconscious projections of his dream creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In, uh, I read one of Alan Watts' books called The Taboo Against Knowing Yourself. One of the um, like conclusions toward the end of another like parable style thing is human consciousness is. God playing hide and seek with itself.
0: Okay. I mean, that, yeah, I've always liked that version of life and death. Yeah. So that works out. Um,
1: and, and he, Frank Herbert, hits that like he hits the nail on the head. Yeah. Like he doesn't overbear it, he doesn't go over the top with a lot of that more abstract philosophy like existential philosophy, like Eastern mysticism stuff. But he does it just the right amount.
0: He does. You kind of feel like, are we going too far sometimes in Dune and Dune Messiah? But he doesn't go hard on it. He doesn't repeat the same. He doesn't repeat himself. Yes. In Children of... He's feel like, here's,
1: like a, here's a concept that yeah. I, am, I am making an instance of this concept in the story. Yeah. And that's just planting a seed in your mind. Yeah. To help you just to help you have some more options for how you think about the universe.
0: I mean, it's very archetypally religion. We yes. get a messiah, we get um the false messiah and kind of the true messiah slash the one who will die and then ascend and become godlike, which of course is Alito. Leto. And then the one that just dies and stays dead, which Paul ends up being more like John the Baptist, which I think we actually call him John the Baptist at a certain point in this book because he like prepares the way for Leto. Yes. Which John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way or whatever. Um, this is when my shitty Christian homeschool upbringing helps because I can get all the religious references in, in Dune. and But like uh, Paul and Chani... It's interesting because there are a lot of parallels between Leto and and Paul's lives. But what ultimately sets them apart is that Leto is willing to make choices in human choices. So yes. Paul knew he was going to love Chani his entire life. And when he meets her, he cannot give her up. And ultimately, he would rather destroy the universe and destroy himself than give her up and give up even a moment of the life that they share together.
1: Because their relationship is so meaningful to him.
0: Right. But then Paul or not Paul, Leto meets somebody who is going to be his love interest and he sees her in all of his visions. And then there comes a moment where she's going to feed him this spice, this like spice laden porridge. And he's like, you know what, actually, you can just bury that. And she's like, they're going to know if I bury it. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. And she's like, they might punish me. And he's like, "Mm, that kind of sounds like a personal problem. And then it says, he shook his head, shedding her from his visions, feeling new freedom envelop him. No need to kill this poor pawn. She danced to other music, not even knowing the steps, believing that she might yet share the power which lured the hungry pirates of Shulak and Jakarutu. Leto went to the door seal and put a hand upon it. He's like, you know what, actually? I think I'm good.
1: Uh, so this is where we really start showing that the way Paul used his his prescience, his future site was very heavy handed. Yeah, and ultimately
0: self serving.
1: Yes. It, yeah. He he took like when when you do, like, meditation stuff, one of the things they tell you is the thoughts that just pop into your head, the thoughts that just pop into your head aren't true. Yeah. They're just thoughts. And you need to, like, evaluate them. The visions that pop into your head are not truth. They're... A possibility. Yeah. Paul takes every vision that he has as concrete truth. And that's what traps him. Yeah. And Leto's like, oh, I can see the temptation of that. It gives you a lot of certainty about what's going to happen, which reduces anxiety, but it reduces options too. Yeah. So I can see that this is a This is like a firm timeline of what could happen if things keep going the way they're going, but that's not the option that I want to take. And I don't want to limit my other options by pursuing that path. So he cuts off that timeline.
0: Yeah. Or as he says, because he has the wisdom to be ruthless without being cruel, to know when kindness is in fact the way to greater cruelty.
1: Right. So the the thing that Paul could not do was he, Paul saw the option of becoming the worm, like bonding with the sand trout and becoming the not human emperor of humanity. But that would lead to Kralizek. Yeah. And Kralizek is just like a wipe out most of humanity and that cost was too high for paul but leto can see beyond that and to him kralizek is yes it's a lot of suffering but it's a crucible that once humanity passes through there's like higher heights than the depths of kralizek Yeah. On the other side of it. But we
0: have to survive it. We have to be set up to survive it.
1: It's going to happen, so we need to prepare for it. And it's like a necessary step in the evolution of human civilization. Right. It needs to happen, so Lita's going to make sure that it does happen with the best outcome, which is kind of what Paul did with the jihad. He saw that the jihad was going to happen. Yeah. And so he made sure that when it happened it would have the the minimal suffering on the yeah. universe which he still like held, kept a lot of guilt about that he caused all of this suffering even though he could he can evaluate more than anybody how much more suffering there would have been if he hadn't so carefully managed events
0: there just wasn't a path without it right that he could see
1: that he could see yeah because he he saw the landscape of the future and like he never closed his eyes so he he locked that that set of possibilities into his reality
0: when the center does not move you are in its path <laughs> Do you think he wrote like he just sat down and wrote? Can you imagine how exhausting it would be to come up with all of this stuff just in one fluid? Like I sit down and write an entire chapter of just quote after quote of fucking bangers like over and over. Can we talk about for a minute how this man constructed three novels that are really long, almost exclusively of dialogue? And how these characters, when they aren't talking with each other in order to illustrate the plot, they're talking to themselves. Dialogue. This man wrote dialogue. And yet stuff happens. You're aware of stuff that happens. And yet almost all of it is expressed with dialogue. Okay, Duncan kidnapped Jessica and he's taking her to Seleucus Secundus. Are we talking about Duncan putting her in the ornithopter? Are we talking about them loading onto the highliner? Are we talking about any of that? No, Duncan and Jessica are having a conversation. Where are we going? I'm taking you to Seleucus Secundus. Do you think that's a good idea? I don't fucking know, but it's better than all the other bad ideas. Okay, right. I hear Which you. Which is,
1: it's such a good... Example of show don't tell.
0: Show don't tell.
1: Where they could have said Jessica and Duncan rode in the ship all the way to the planet Seleucus Secundus. Yeah, in like summary form. No, no, there's none of that. No
0: descriptive action. Very little description. That's maybe that's why the last twenty five percent is so jarring. Because we finally get descriptive action and yeah. it's almost exclusively of what Leto is doing because he's alone and there's only so much he can really think about. What, with... But even then it's him like, huh, I think there's Cilia sticking out of my back that are looking for food. That's right. pretty cool. And then he intercepts his dad and he and his dad have this conversation. We, There's some brief action here because he breaks the guard's neck and he's like, would you look at that? Y- you got a new guide. <laughs> you need a guide.
1: Your guide just died. What? L- you oh need my a God. guide. And hey, I I want to hang out with you. I Wouldn't want you know. I, I want some father son bonding time.
0: I, well, Paul is like, you're not my son, but you're kind of my son. Like, I'm happy to see you, but I'm not. I'm having complicated emotions right now. And like, an and having, I don't like it. It's like
1: Murderbot. I'm having an emotion that I don't like it.
0: Having a lot of emotions, and Lito is like. It's cool. I get it. Um, but, you know, you know what we're going to do. And Paul's like, oh, I've known. I have known what we're going to do. Because at the end of Dune Messiah, he loses his prescient vision because he's mourning Chani. And then while he was at Jakarutu, he got it back because.
1: They forced it into him.
0: They kind of forced. And he kind of healed a little. He moved on. He was able. Some not time moved on but passed. Yeah. He was able to kind of reclaim that part of himself. So he knew kind of that this was coming. And Leto's like, great, we're going back. And he's like, if we go back, they're going to kill me. And he's like, are you mad about that? And Paul's like, not really. No, let's go. Let's go. So they head back to the city and he gives like an impassioned speech. He's like, Alia is evil. Um, I am Muad'Dib. You guys have been following me this whole time like fucking suckers. I can't believe you didn't let me go. I walked away. I What is happening? And he gets killed. He gets, like, for goodsies, he gone. He gets stabbed. He's dead. Right there on the floor in, like, the womb of heaven's...
1: Alias temple.
0: Temple. And that's it. That is the end of Paul Muad'Dib. And they're all watching this happen. And um, the people in the room are, I think, Ganima. Not Ganima quite yet, but
1: it's the Alia, Faradin and uh is it Teknik? Is it?
0: Yeah, but they're all in the room. It's not really Ganima and Lido yet because Ganima brings what she thinks is Paul's guide because she's so brainwashed she doesn't even recognize her brother. And then he's like, "I went to seek the golden path." The golden bath, <laughs> and Ganim is like Lido. Oh my God, I missed you because that was like their code word. Well, they had a code word. He says it anyway, um, and it like unlocks her brainwashing, and she's like, "I fucking knew you wouldn't die." And he's like, "Like I'd die on you." And then he's like, "Alia, oh you yeah, know?
1: she she's like, did it work?" And he's like,
0: "Kinda, yeah, I'm I'm, eh, I'm pretty good." And then he's like, "You know who is gonna die though, <laughs> Alia." sup sup auntie and she's like "Mm, i'm not gonna die and she you do
1: it or i do it
0: yeah you do it or i do it and then he breaks the window with his like mind powers (laughs) and ali is like what am i supposed to do with that and he's like you know what you're supposed to do with that and alia to her credit does regain the ability to use her own body just long enough to end her own life so that's the end of alia that's the end of paul and who's left standing in the wreckage? But there, I don't want to call her selfish. Is Jessica selfish? She had this son out of time, which ultimately created this jihad that killed billions of people, and spawned the living god who will bring about the apocalypse.
1: But the apocalypse that will produce the
0: cru- he will fire the crucible, the that golden w- path. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> I just I don't know. I have I have a lot of complicated emotions about Jessica, I guess, because while all of this is happening to her daughter and her grandkids and her son, she has fucked off slightly involuntarily to Seleucus Secundus, where she is training Faradin in the ways of the Bene Gesserit, like the son she wished she'd had. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because Paul wasn't around anymore. Because he's intelligent, but biddable. He's formidably intelligent. He almost, Im- she shows up and she's like, you know, it's not cool that your mom tried to kill Leto and Ghanima. And the Bene Gesserit are like, not okay with this. Because they sent him a message that's like, we know, we know, you know, we know. We know. And she's like, "Mm, there's some hidden subtext here, which is kind of like, you do something about it, or we do something about it, and you won't be happy if we're the ones who have to do something about it. And so he banishes his mom, and that's it. She's in this book, like, in the beginning for, like, a tiny chunk, most of it, which is just Farad and going, God, she's such an idiot. (laughs) God, she's why is she not keeping up?
1: Which I thought it was a a good example of it, it kind of puts the the universe of Dune into scale where you have this powerful house. Yeah. House Carino. And you have the, the like the lead people. You have Wencisia and Faradin in charge of this powerful house that has a path to challenge House Atreides. Yeah. In being the emperor or empress, whatever. And you have this very careful scheming and plotting and manu- political maneuvering. And it ends up with when Cecia just getting dismissed. Missed. Like all of that ambition, all of the resources spent on that scheming and planning and plotting. And it was just a drop in the ocean of the whole universe. Yeah. Of other people like that, yeah. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing that, and she was not wasn't everybody doing has it as clean else. of a path as she did. Yeah, like she had like a flush hand, and she n- played it bad. Yeah, and so I, th- I think that's what when Cissia does in the for the plot for Jessica. I feel like in the first book she was a strong character who her character helped to drive the story. But then in Children of Dune, she's more like the instrument of somebody else. And she's not really be, getting to be Jessica and doing what Jessica would want to do. She's just kind of... Well,
0: that's because what Jessica wants to do is stay on Caladan and eat grapes and get served by buff dudes that fan her in her and, hammock.
1: And be lusted after by Gurney.
0: Yeah, that's... Given the opportunity to act freely, she just left. She just fucked
1: off. So she's only here because she's being coerced yeah, to... Yeah, the Bene and so she asked her to she go just back. Kind she's of she's like, oh, fine. She kind of goes through the motions of... My following so the explicit weird, orders from the Bene Gesserit, God. and Jessica's character is kind of like wasted.
0: Uh, well, I think Faraday is her attempt at redemption. It's like I had a son. I thought this was going to work out. It got weird. I didn't like it. Then I had a daughter, way weirder. And so I was just like, cut my losses. Let's go back to Caladan. I'm going to sit on the beach for twenty one years. And then the Bene Gesserit sent her a text that was like, clean up your fucking mess. And so she went back to, to Dune to try to do that. And she swept
1: it under the rug and, she was and like, said, I'm done. She was like, I'm
0: coming to visit y'all. And they were like, no, you're not. And she's like, God damn it. They guessed my motives. And so <laughs> the first time she meets any kind of friction and Idaho is like, I'm getting you off this planet for your own good. She's like, great. I love my own good. Let's do that. And so they leave and go to Seleucus Secundus. And she's like, well, I could probably make it good here. Braden's nice. He seems nice. He's biddable. He's intelligent. He's Uh, he's a nerd like he likes to read books and that's pretty much it and when sissy is kind of an idiot and she played her hand too soon and i can just get her gone and then once i get her gone like i've got the run of the place and so that's exactly what she does and then she ends up turning Faradon into a bened like she swears basically the same
1: thing she did with paul
0: right except that he's not prescient in the way that paul was he's just a nerdy smart guy
1: I think a big difference between Paul and Frauden. Okay, first, Frauden has si- no ambition. Similarities, yeah, similarities. They both, uh, they're they're pretty much cousins.
0: Well, Paul never had ambition either, but
1: I think Paul Paul did have.
0: Well, no, no. Some... Jessica's ambition well, was to I guess... stay alive. She used Paul to do it, and as soon as that was done, she noped.
1: Paul was raised from birth to exercise his ambitious options. Okay, And so he was – that was the level of his training. So when he got to Dune and all this stuff is happening and Jessica's like, all right, we need to fulfill the prophecies, whatever. He's like, okay, well, I've been raised from birth to exercise – all of my options that like progress my ambition okay like that's what i've been trained to see is lines of like gaining more influence and gaining power or whatever and ferradon just got to be a a nerdy fuckboy yeah and so when jessica gets there it's like oh here's someone who has very similar like genetic potential to paul but just got to be like got to be a kid, got to be yeah. a nerd. And so Froden Messiah like,
0: Messiah 15? Oh, okay, cool.
1: Froden's like, okay, well, I can do like most of the same things that Paul could. I I bet if you dosed him up on spice, something would happen.
0: Well, he's already addicted to spice. Remember he wears contact lenses oh, that's to right. hide his blue and blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so I think Faradon is a version of what Paul could have been if Paul didn't have all those pressures of being a male when he should have been a female.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, and that, and, his and I dad's think that's not what, getting murdered before him, and he's right. not sent it's out like, to the. It's an yeah.
1: untraumatized Paul.
0: Yeah. And it's so. It's like, th- why don't we know what it looks like when someone is autistic oh without yeah, wh- trauma? Because we don't know any untraumatized people with autism and ADHD. So yeah. We literally don't know what that looks like.
1: No. Aurora.
0: <laughs> God bless Aurora. You would know. You are in the top what percentage, fan? Uh, I, was,
1: I was in the 0.5%. Yeah. Listeners. Matt listens
0: to almost exclusively Aurora. <laughs> so if you want to know who Matt is, just put on an Aurora sound any any album really
1: the entire discography. Yeah. So <laughs> I th- so I think Faradan is the untraumatized version of Paul
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and I think that's why Faradin makes such a like good, counterpoint to leto the second
0: maybe he feels like a second chance for jessica
1: yes yeah like he, okay i can I'm do i'm not gonna fuck it up this the time. same thing where i kind of pulled out all this like latent ability yeah to so that this person could express it in a powerful way i have another chance to do that in a way that's not going to result in them destroying humanity in the universe.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So
1: that's that's attractive from- Yeah. uh, That's an attractive proposal from Jessica's perspective.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay. Eh. I don't know why. I don't dislike Jessica. She's a character means to an end. It's just that she exploits everyone around her until ultimately she's put into a position where- There's nothing to exploit. And so she finally gets to just, I don't know. She trains Farad and then she's like, we're besties now. And then she goes back, see that bitch over there? That's Alia. And he's like, isn't that your daughter? And she's like, not anymore. I don't know what happened. Who raised her? Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. I just can't imagine being like, well, that was a mistake. And just going back home. (laughs) You like, it'd be like taking your kids on vacation you you're
1: five-year-old. It's like... Like you go on a family no, no, no. vacation.
0: No. You take your 15-year-old on vacation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And something weird goes down. Your husband gets killed. You're pregnant. You stick around long enough to have the baby. And then you're like, well, you know what, actually? I'm not thinking that this vacation is for me.
1: <laughs> and when you
0: go home, when you go home, you leave the kids in the cabin.
1: So so all this stuff, all this bad stuff happens on your vacation. With cans and no can opener. You move into like a spare house in this like little village. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, you poor thing. Let's help you out. And you you kind of get, you make friends. You get integrated in the community. Everybody is helping you, the poor widow, raise your children. And then you're like- You guys are doing a great job. Bye.
0: I know. You know what? Actually, I'm going to go get cigarettes at the corner store. (laughs) I will be, and I swear to this, right back.
1: Okay. (laughs) It's like 10 years later. Man.
0: 21. I think that's checks watch. 21 years later. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I'm not going straight to the end. Oh, okay. uh, When she comes back. Just skip forward some time. Man. Mom's been gone for 10 years going to get cigarettes.
0: If she leaves right after the battle with the Emperor, Alia is two.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Except she, yes, like temporally she's two. Yeah. But they say she grew fast. So like biologically she's like four or something. Yeah,
0: And then we just straight invent this whole thing where they can make themselves immortal, but they don't because it's like taboo. But Jessica, not Jessica, Alia has done the thing where it made her. This is probably
1: a thing that got brought up like right after the books were published. Like why can they not just make themselves? People talking about it. Like Jessica can manipulate her own biochemistry to the point of like creating the catalyst for the water of life. Yeah. To turn it from a poison into a drug. Can they can they do other stuff like accelerate healing and like keep themselves young or whatever? And, I don't know. Maybe. And Frank Herbert's probably like, yeah, that's yeah, good. They Ooh, can, yeah, but like they that. Don't they? Don't. There's a reason they For don't. Reasons. I'll explain it in a few years.
0: Yeah, later. You gotta you gotta subscribe to this magazine. Think, think. think. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he knew. He knew immediately, and he knew in like prose. Like I think Frank Herbert thought in poetry. Like, I just don't think he.
1: It just comes to it him. It just
0: came to him. Yeah. Can you imagine like having. So, there's this um, documentary, which I recommend everybody watch just because it's so weirdly intense, but it's called Rivers and Streams. And it's about this artist who's this environmental artist. And this guy legit goes out and for 10, 12 hours a day, he like stitches leaves together with thorns or he'll create these dye balls made out of dirt and throw them in the river and then like watch the the dye balls the color dissolve disperse. in the river or he'll make these beehives out of rocks or he anyway he does these just really intense really in- ephemeral things that require great concentration and like quietness of spirit to be able to complete And there's a scene where he's sitting at the kitchen table and they have everything sped up around him and he's literally just sitting at the kitchen table. And it literally it looks like about an hour passes while everybody's running around in the background at fast forward and he just sits there. And I have to imagine that that's what every dinner was like with Frank Herbert. (laughs) <laughs> no wonder his son followed in his footsteps and started writing because he probably never had a regular conversation with his dad. He was probably like, Dad, I have a soccer game this afternoon. And his dad was like, what is soccer? But the meaningless effort of two two teams pretending to be on either side of the cosmic conflict when really we're all in this together. <laughs> he's like fuck it dad it's just soccer and he's like it's never just soccer (laughs) can you imagine i can't even imagine i can't i can't um my favorite part probably at the end is alia is dead all is dead jessica is effectively out of the picture she's like can i go back to caladan now I would really like to abdicate my responsibility. Can I sign some paperwork? I'm really done now. Because Lido's like, hey, Farad'n, bro, you're going to give me the Sardukar, and then you're not going to marry my sister, but you are going to father her children. Because I'm going to marry her to kind of consolidate imperial power, but I'm but not- But just
1: for the politics. But
0: just for the politics, because, spoiler alert, I ain't got no dick no more look like, at
1: this I'm not wearing clothes it looks like I'm wearing a still suit no that's my skin
0: I am naked no I think he's got a robe on well, he's, right yeah. right
1: but I can imagine him like lifting up the robe and being like look 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 what I'm li- working with this on. this that's my skin I'm naked right now yeah all I'm I'm this is my body and I'm just wearing this, this tattered my robe body on top of it
0: broken for you <laughs> And Farad'n's like, man, I'm not giving you the Sardaukar. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you are. You are.
1: Just just do it. Everybody's doing it. And then guess what? You get to be the...
0: Think how cool it would be if we got um, the Sardaukar here and we had the Fremen and the Fremen and the Sardaukar like joined forces and became like super from Mardukar and like we could just take over the universe or whatever we could bring about the apocalypse and Faradhan is like I'm sorry fucking what and he's like fucking yes is that what I heard fucking yes I'm bringing the Sardaukar he said yes y'all bring the Sardaukar and then he's like oh by the way you're gonna be um a concubine so best of luck
1: and so Faradin says I'll resist you every day of my life so Lido says, "But that's the function I expect of you, cousin. It's why I chose you. I'll make it official. Official. I will give you a new name. From this moment, you'll be called Breaking of the Habit, which in our tongue is Hark Alada." <laughs> he
0: even renames them. He's like, "Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you're not whatever." Yeah, you're
1: not Faradin anymore.
0: No, 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 no. You're you're a new person. You're my uh, keep me sane guy. And Farad'n's like, I'm pretty sure that that's too late. And he's like, shh,
1: it's it, fine. Come on, Harkalada. You need to keep us sane.
0: He sticks out a cilia and just trails it down <laughs> his cheek. It's fine. <laughs> oh, this book. The first three quarters was like, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. This is dialogue. I'm digging it. Like I love these lines. This is so sweet. I don't stuff is happening. I kind of care about what's happening when I kinda don't, but I just kind of care about what's happening to these people. And these people are cool and I'm so here. And then it's like
1: <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of stuff happening, and it doesn't feel like anybody's being forced, like yeah. narratively forced into doing anything weird, except maybe Jessica. Yeah. And and then it's like, uh I need to wrap this up.
0: It's possible that Jessica is just an outgrowth of, I'm not sure Frank knew exactly what to do with women. Cause he also had Alia who became an abomination. He had Ganima, who sort of disappears. She doesn't really disappear, but she also does kind of just disappear. Um, Hera, who's like our one continuous character through all three books. Who is never used as more than just, would you like coffee? Yeah, cool. I'll go get it. And then we get when sissia who gets dismissed almost immediately, most of his female characters pop in, have a purpose, and then disappear. They do not get the same level of character development that his male characters do. Like, think about how much Paul goes through and how much Paul grows and then Jessica could have had a similar trajectory. He could have made Jessica into some... Or even Irulan, because Irulan right, the is the way sort Irulan
1: of, gets kind of upgraded in the sci-fi miniseries.
0: Yeah, is beautiful and right? perfect. Right, and
1: it makes it so much better.
0: It does, and if we had carried that Irulan into Dune Messiah, instead of just having her be like, oof, maybe she wasn't as smart as we all thought she was... Uh, and then by Children of Dune, she just is like Ali a mouthpiece and that's it. And she disappears almost immediately. And it just feels like, oh, maybe Chani. If anybody gets to be a character, like a real character, it's Chani. Yeah. And she gets killed off because she wants babies so badly. She's willing to endanger her life to have babies. Which I guess is a real thing, and women do it, and I totally respect that that some I think if we hadn't had children as easily as we did, I don't know that I what lengths I would have gone to to have kids, probably not great ones um but that was just me. It was like cool, they'd be cool, but not like let's spend twenty thousand dollars on i v f to have them. you know what I'm saying, yeah. Which is kind of Ivy. She gets, like, spice IVF. <laughs> but then, instead of staying in a hospital, she tries to have a home birth. <laughs> it just backfires. I don't know. I don't know. I do. I like all three. I think that this was good, and I'm glad we read these. And I'm really looking forward to watching the miniseries, because I cannot stress enough how good of a job sci-fi did in the adaptation of Dune the Novel, and then they carry that forward and do an even better job of making Dune Messiah and Children of Dune into this complete, concise, comprehensive, beautiful little narrative that feels so perfect without having to include every single drop of every tiny bit of intrigue and
1: right they capture the essence.
0: I mean this plot is a pretzel. It's Parfait. It is layers and layers and layers and layers of twisty ass dialogue. And really the only way to enjoy it is to just kind of shut down and let it flow. Kind of like the way that Leto experiences the future. You just have to dip in, let it flow, and then hop back out. And if you don't, you didn't quite get all of it, it's, it's cool. It's all right. There's definitely parts of this that it's like, did you not get that? No worries. Did you forget about the tigers? Because we haven't talked about them in 230 pages. And since then, there's been about 75 separate conversations. Uh, No, no worries. It's fine. You know, it's fine. They just show up and then they die almost immediately. So no problem. Did you forget when Sissia existed? Great. So did we. Not a problem. problem. We can send her off. Um, And the preacher actually disappears for a good section of the book, too. We hear about him tangentially, but we don't see yeah. him for a really long time. We just get like, Alia's mad because the preacher's still around. And then Alia being like, is he my brother, though? I don't know. Is he my brother? It finally takes him grabbing her arm and going, hello, sister. And he, she's like, does he mean that literally? I think he means that literally. Is he Paul? He could be Paul. He definitely knows how to I, use the voice. I think
1: an, that that struggle that she has is in my mind supposed to be because she's possessed.
0: Yeah. And she's she not want fully to in control of her faculties. She doesn't want to believe he's back because she doesn't want to be seen like that.
1: Right, And she's she's so tied up. Her identity is so tied up in being the sister of Paul Muad'Dib, who is gone. Yeah. That if he was known to have come back, it would just completely mess up how she's structured the world around her.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: So she she's probably half deliberately distracting herself from seriously entertaining that as a possibility, and also the other half that would have recognized I'm bullshitting myself. Yeah, is busy it's fending off out. the Harkonnen. Yeah, uh, Baron Harkonnen.
0: Yeah, I will say one of the things that was hard for me in this book is. <laughs> picturing old Paul because when we do the miniseries God bless the actor who played Paul in the first one they bring him back to play old wizened like dried out husk Paul Uh and he really commits to the raspy voice like you are all dead (laughs) is it the most successful part of the miniseries not to my recollection (laughs) And so every time I heard his dialogue, I heard it as the like, you've grown
1: water fat.
0: And the like, <laughs> like the <laughs> voice he does. And they give him these dry ass lips that look like dry and cracked. Oh, and man.
1: Yes, his lips look so chapped.
0: So chapped. And then his hairline is supposed to be... Like thin, but it's just really weirdly. Re- it is not the. It's not the best. Okay, I mean it's it's fine. It's just not great. Everything else is great. James McAvoy as as Lido, great. The actress who plays uh, older Alia, great. The guy who they brought back to play Duncan, who I don't think is the guy who plays Duncan in the first (laughs)
2: one, also
0: great. The bringing back the actor who played Liet Kynes to be another character who is unrelated to Liet Kynes, perfect. I'm happy for this. Not a problem. The lady who plays Chani plays Chani in both. Beautiful job. Fucking perfect. Irulan, great. Love it. Everything is great. Is the old makeup on Paul great? Apparently not, because it stuck out enough to me that every time they described the preacher, I was like, oh, God, like it's coming. As soon as I finish this book, I've got to watch the mini-series with chapped-ass Paul. <laughs> he just looks like a wrung-out sponge, which is what he's supposed to look like. He's supposed to look like weather-beaten and like he's been yeah. in the desert. Like he's a desert creature. He's supposed to look fremen, and that's what everybody says when they... When he comes by, is like, wow, he is like...
1: He's a capital R real Fremen. He's
0: a Fremen, like the kind of Fremen that no longer exists. And the bittersweetness of this is a world that no longer has to be as hard. So the people don't have to be as hard. So we can let those traditions go because they no longer serve us. But also, look what we lost Look what we lost. Like, people now have to lock their doors. People get assaulted and taken because I think at one point he says, it's a curious thing that the more men have, the more they want. Mm -hmm. But the less they have, the more they are willing to give away. But just that, I feel like it's almost universal, that sensation that the thing that you had was better than you was bet was the best and really it's like the you know the good lives longer than the evil you know you we for you forget how harsh it made the fremen and yet it's like oh god they've lost so much
1: right. but it it then gave all the meaning to their lives
0: right and so now they're just they're just like everybody else they're just like everybody else in the imperium everything they want they get except everybody's stockpiling spice because pretty soon there will be no spice. And he's like, don't worry. Everybody's got enough stockpile. It'll get us through until. And they're what, like, 4, until... Years? until what? And he's like, dot, dot, dot.
1: The duration.
0: The the duration. It will do for the duration. So I guess what I'll leave you guys with before we move into the mini series, because I think we could wrap this up unless there's something else you wanted to talk about.
1: Uh, I think we've hit everything. Yeah. I have a lot to say about.
0: I'm just going to end it here with. I stand in the sacred human presence. As I do now, so should you stand someday. I pray to your presence that this be so. The future remains uncertain, and so it should, for it is the canvas upon which we paint our desires. Thus always the human condition faces a beautifully empty canvas. We possess only this moment in which to dedicate ourselves continuously to the sacred presence which we share and create.
1: So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too.
0: So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye!